Welcome to Nancy's Bookshelf, a weekly program of conversations with North State and national writers from North State Public Radio. Now here's your host, Nancy Wickman. Chico author Valerie Althoff grew up on a farm in Minnesota. She worked in business administration until 2001 when she became a certified feng shui consultant. She helps people in their homes and businesses enhance and balance these spaces and their lives. Valerie Althoff teaches feng shui classes with Osher Lifelong Learning Institute through Chico State. She has now written a book, The Nine Rooms of Your Life, Finding Happiness and Fulfillment from the Inside Out. Valerie Althoff, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, I think people would wonder, what does she mean by that? The nine rooms of your life? What do you mean by that? Well, in feng shui, there is what I call a map of your spaces. Um, And it's called a bagua. I don't know why feng shui is weird that way with all these strange terms, but it's called the bagua. And it's a map of um, looking at your spaces through different areas of your life. For instance, the middle of your spaces is the center, center of your house, center of your business, whatever. And then around the outside, the eight different areas around the outside are different aspects of your spaces that is an analogy of your life. So as a feng shui consultant, I can go into somebody's space and look at where their spaces are out of whack, out of imbalance, and tell where their life is out of, imbal- out of balance. So it's feng shui teaches that what is in your head, um, the imbalances in your life, if something doesn't feel good in your life, it will show up in your spaces. So the idea is change your spaces, change your life. Well, you might explain how that relates to the illustration on the cover of your book. Well, when I decided to do this book, I thought, why would I want to write another feng shui book? Um, You know, feng shui has kind of peaked and come down over the years, and I think it came down into a kind of a uh, non-viable thing for people after the economy collapsed. Nobody wanted to spend money on feng shui because it's all about shifting your spaces and energy. So I thought, well, why would I write another book? Um, But then a friend of mine said, well, how about writing a book based on the analogy of feng shui in your life? And that appealed to me. So I thought, well, maybe I could do it. So I forced myself, sat down, just, and as soon as I sat down, the book just flowed out of me. So because I've been doing feng shui for 22 years now, and it's just kind of a a beingness for me. So I decided to write a book based on how to look at your life from the perspective of feng shui. So I took the bagua, the actual spaces in your space, um, to how you determine that for your life. And that's why I call them rooms, because instead of the nine areas on the bagua, there are nine areas of your life. And they start... Should I tell you the nine rooms? Well, now, you're still... I ask you about the illustration on your book. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I got sidetracked, sorry. So the um, the illustration is a beautiful um, description of the Bagua. It's... Um, I When I decided to write the book, I contacted the local community college and asked if they had an art student who was willing to... And where were you at this time? Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah, Piedmont Community College in Charlotte. Um, So I called the program director of the art department, and he said, oh, I've got a great student. Um, She might be interested. So I got together with her, and she... I told her what I wanted. Um, She knew nothing about feng shui. I told her what I wanted, and she, with a little bit of coaching, she came up with this illustration, and I thought it was absolutely beautiful. So if you look at the illustration, there's a sun in the center. We come out of the center of our life. We come from essence or pure essence energy from whatever you believe that to be, and we come down into a body, and we take on form. So that is always like the hub of the wheel. And then we go down so in, this is a circle. It's a circle. And in the center of the circle is this sun. Yes. And then you have illustrations uh, surrounding that center. And 
this the cover is in color, so it's beautiful. Inside your book, in black and white, are reproductions of this illustration. Yes, highlighting uh, the the part that you're describing in that chapter. Yes. So, uh, for the listener's benefit, uh, what uh, what are uh, depicted in the illustration? Okay, um, there are nine illustrations, nine pieces of the circle. So the first one is center. You come down into your center, and then you're born or birthed into life. And that is the water energy or the life path energy, um, the second room. Which is at the bottom of this circle. The bottom middle of the circle. And then you go clockwise in a clockwise direction. So the next one is in this the way she interpreted it was a book because it's all about knowledge and self-awareness. You become self-aware. You start to look at your world and who you are. It's kind of like the toddler phase or the child phase. And then you go out. The third one or the fourth room is the um, ancestry and family. You want to know who your family is, and to get a larger picture, you go into your ancestry. What is the origin of my, am I Italian, French, German, that kind of thing? So you want to know who you are from the lineage perspective. And then you and go— And people might guess, oh, a tree, of course, tree for ancestry. Because you're growing, yes, tree then, of life and ancestry, yes. And then you see the, the dove or the white bird. You're going out and you're flying out into the world to seek opportunities. And um, in feng shui, this gua of the bagua is um, abundance because abundance is all about opportunity. You seek opportunities to become abundant so that you can have the abundance to go into the next room or gua which is success. So you take the opportunities, education, mentoring, whatever, um, the opportunities, and you take those and you become successful. And it's fire because in feng shui, um, success is all about fire. And if you notice, it's totally the opposite of the, of the first room when you come out of center, which water. is water. Yes. So you are now on fire with all the success in your life. And in my book, I talk about the perspective of, of this room, which is success, but it doesn't always mean the success outside out in the like external financial, world. for example. Right. Because a lot of times that's what how people de de um, determine success. Exactly. Yes, success is something that you become in the outside world or the external world. But I want people to know that success is really an inside thing because it doesn't matter what other people think you are. Um, you're successful if you believe you are. Well, I might mention the subtitle of your book is Finding Happiness and Fulfillment from the inside out. Yes. So there's the depiction of success. And what's next on this circle? The next one is relationship. After you burn out because you're on fire with <laughs> success, you go to ground. And this is an earth energy. In this room, you take on relationship. And it's different from family. Your family is a relationship, but you have no choice in this. So this, this room is your choice of relationship, your partner, your spouse, your friends, um, people who mean something to you that you didn't choose. I mean, that you did choose, <laughs> unlike And did you make a suggestion for these illustrations, or did your illustrator come up with something on her own based on what you told her? Well, yeah, she came up with these pretty much on her own. The original drawing that she put in here was a diamond ring. And I said, no, it's greater, it's larger than marriage. So I thought the two rings together were great because we are a circle. We go through the cycle, circle of life, and when we meet someone, we form a bond. And that so the depiction in that room is two gold rings interlocked, right. interlocking gold rings. Right. Okay. Now the next is um, uh, makes me smile. Mm -hmm. And That's what, good. Describe that. <laughs> describe that. <laughs> well, room. out of this relationship room, when you move into the next room, it's creation, creativity. It's uh, in in feng shui. It's called children and creativity, because the icon of creativity is a child. 
So out of a relationship comes the child. But this is also the reason it's got these fingerprints, children's fingerprints. It's like a child did this artwork in this little uh, part of the circle. Yes, because this room is about creativity. And because we are created, we have the energy to be creative. So when we're creative, we start having fun, we start expressing. So it's kind of, um, I call it, let your inner child out in this room, because this is where you play. Um, I had a a client, I'll tell you a story. I had a client once who um, had a laundry room. I was going through her house, and we always do the, the cycle of the Bagua. So we were in her laundry room, which is in this room, and um, great big laundry room. Now, let me explain, perhaps. You said the laundry room was in this room. Yes. Meaning her house, when you looked at her house, you saw that in this particular part of her house yes. was the laundry room. Yes. There, in feng shui, I was in the gua of the bagua. So, and, and the gua was in her laundry room, the create room of creativity or the gua of creativity. So I looked around the room and there was a child's desk sitting next to a wall. And she said, oh, her daughter loves to come into this room to be with her while she's doing her laundry. So I looked at that, and the whole wall um, next to the desk was blank. And I suggested that she might want to um, paint, get some chalk paint and paint that wall um, so that her daughter could paint and, and do her chalk drawings and stuff. She could draw on the wall. And the mother thought that was a perfect idea, and then she said, oh, I can have fun with her in that, and that's exactly the energy that you want to bring to this gua or room. My guest is Valerie Althoff. She is a feng shui consultant, and she is describing the illustration on the cover of her book, The Nine Rooms of Your Life. And she has described all but the last room, and that's a pair of hands. Yes. When you go through the cycle of your life, the last one or, you know, the last one on this cycle is um, called Travel and Helpful People. Because you have seeked, you have sought opportunities, you've become successful, you've taken on relationships, you're giving, expressing back with creativity, and now you um, want to give back all that you have learned. You've taken all that you've learned, and you've experienced all these things in your life, and now you want to give back with the wisdom that you have gained from all these experiences and everything you've learned. So this is called the Room of Wisdom, or the Room of, uh, the and on the Bagua, it's called Travel and Helpful People. Because at this age, you're retired, um, you may want to do a hobby, you may want to learn a new skill, you do volunteering, a lot of people volunteer at this age, so you want to give back. So the hands, the two Two hands holding each other are uh, you're connecting with the larger world and you're giving back and expressing. And it's also um, I talk about leaving a legacy in this room because you are so wise at this point. Experience plus learning equals wisdom. So you are so wise that you want to help. You want to give back. And um, you do that by leaving a legacy. I wrote this book as a way of leaving my legacy because I don't have children to leave anything to. So I um, decided that this will be my legacy, one of my legacies. I might write another book or so. Um, but if you have children and grandchildren, um, you have to realize that one day you'll be gone and one day you will be their ancestor. And what a beautiful gift to give somebody after you're gone is the wisdom of your knowledge that you leave for them. Um, in the United States or in America, the, uh, we're not really good at that. We don't honor our elders. Um, the Japanese, Chinese, the Asian people all have the wisdom teachings, um, especially the Native Americans. They are really, really good at doing the wisdom teachings and leaving this legacy for the, the people to come after them. My guest is feng shui consultant Valerie Althoff. And we'll be back to continue our conversation after a short break. You're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm Nancy Wigman. 
I'm Nancy Wigman, and you're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm back with my guest, Valerie Althoff, who has written a book about how we can use feng shui in our lives. Well, you know, I read your book, I'd rather say rather slowly, because I would stop, put the book down, and think, oh, why didn't I ask Mother what her... Because she would sometimes tell things that happened in her childhood, like amusing. But I have an older brother, seven years older, and the last time I got together with him, I asked him questions, and I thought... Why didn't I ask him these questions years ago? Because since he was older, he knew more about our grandparents or our aunts and uncles. And I thought, gosh, what an opportunity I missed. So your book made me do a lot of thinking, Valerie. Thank you. (laughs) I would read something and think, golly. Or um, I was lying there when you were talking about, um, I don't know, things that uh, bring light. And I looked on my wall and I had this picture of Mount Etna. It was a dark picture, but I put it there because a friend, it was meaningful for him. And I thought, you know, that picture's too dark. I'm going to replace that. And I put (laughs) a picture of him smiling. Oh. So so when I'd read your book, I would get up often and and do something in my house, think, oh, I should have thought of this a long time ago. Thank you, Valerie. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm humbled. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, some people might say, well, all this is nice, Valerie, but is there any practical use for what you're telling us? And I thought people might like to know that you taught in the county jail. Yes. What did you teach the inmate? Oh, like, well, it's called life skills. Um, Glenn Smith has, um, he believes that in, um, it's important to keep the kids out of jail. So he wanted to do a program. He's written a book called um, Living Your B-Print, not your blueprint, but your, it's a blueprint for your life, your B-Print. So um, he asked me if I wanted to give talks to the inmates in jail. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. Um, so I've got a lot of fun stories from that. What they don't, what I wanted to help them understand is that you're here, you're in jail, you've gotten so far off your life track, you know, off your out of the rooms of your life, you've gotten so off track that you put yourself out there and you got in trouble, and you have to be under, you have to understand that. You got, a, you got arrested by angels in the uniform of, of the police, and they arrested you. They put you into a timeout um, and so you could examine what you have done with your life. I was teaching a group of men, and um, there were like six or seven men in the room. And this one man said that he had been a bartender and a bar owner for many years, and he'd gotten to the point where he was accepting bribes and he was getting into drug trafficking and stuff, and he got caught. And so now he's in jail facing court, um, court sentencing. So when I told him the analogy about the angels coming in and putting you in time out, um, I asked for feedback on that, and he said... If he said, if I didn't have these angels come and take me, he said, I would be dead. So he got it. He got it. And to me, I, I have goosebumps over that mm-hmm. um, because it, it makes such a difference. I planted a seed. And that's really all I was trying to do is plant seeds. I want to help these inmates. And they're usually young kids. They're usually, especially the women. They're 18 to 25 to 30. Some are older, but, you know, they get caught up. Wrong place, wrong time, and they got arrested. So what I wanted to help them understand is that here you are. This is a great opportunity. You're in a timeout. Well, and you also make the point that we shouldn't judge others. So there's an example where I think people would be tempted to judge these people that were in your class, Valerie. Oh, they did yeah. something wrong, and uh, and it might be tempting to judge them for that. And and you make the point. No, no, no. It's my my belief, my personal belief, and the belief of a lot of people who I've hung around with through the years believe in a reincarnation. They believe that you come in over and over and over because you're going to not get it right the first time, so you've got to come back and practice some more. So when we come in and we meet other people in the world, we have our own personal beliefs. We come from our own center. We go through our own life cycle. We go through the rooms, and we learn 
for ourselves. We don't learn what anybody else is learning. We may take the same classes, we may get the same education, but because we come into the world, we're birthed into a body by ourselves. It's personal. We have a life essence, and we may come in with agendas. Some people call it karma. We may have a life plan, but it's unique to us. There's nobody else on the planet that is like us that has the same ideas, so we can't judge anybody else. My guest is Valerie Althoff. She's a feng shui consultant, and she had an opportunity to teach inmates in a county jail. And you, I'm sure, had no way of following up any of these people that were in your class, I would guess. I would imagine that you didn't know how life turned out for them. But it called to mind another local writer whose life was turned around after he got arrested because he got caught up in something that he couldn't get out of on his own. And so when the DEA officer arrested him, the officer said, I'll bet this is the worst day of your life. And he said, no, it's not. (laughs) He got out of that one alive. That's great. (laughs) So um, you, you encourage us to think in terms of, you quote Nikola Tesla, Mm -hmm. that if you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And that's a quote that I practically say daily because people watch how, why do you eat that way? Well, because I want to eat energy, I want food that has life in it, with it, it is vibrant and has energy in it. And um, so that, what Tesla said uh, is the way I make decisions based on energy, frequency, and vibration. So when I was reading your book, I thought, yeah, Valerie, right on. <laughs> and so <laughs> many you. of the quotes, like um, Shakespeare, you quote Shakespeare about uh, we're, our life, we're on a stage. Yes, yes. And that all the world is a stage. And we play different roles Mm -hmm. in this lifetime. And you mentioned that uh, you refer to a script for one's life. Mm -hmm. And I've thought of that so often. And you also use the word agenda. So if people say, what script? Agenda. Yeah. But, for example, I believe that my late husband wrote a beautiful script for his exit Mm -hmm. in life. And I thought... I often thank you, dear, for the script that you wrote. He wrote it himself. It, no, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he beautiful. didn't, it was not on paper. It was not uh, that at all. I mean, the manner in which he oh, okay. exited yes. his yes. life. But um, you do uh, mention this script, and maybe it's you're uh, writing this book, too, to help the rest of us say, oh, I hadn't thought of that. I can write my own script. <laughs> How do people do that? Well, you you come in with a script. I believe I came in with a list of things to accomplish. My number one thing to accomplish in my life was centered around relationship. Um, relationship with a, a partner, relationship with other people, with my family, with nature. I love walking in Bidwell Park. I do it every other day. It's beautiful. I commune with nature. So I believe that we come in with an agenda of things that we want to do. And when we are on track with the things that we um, chose to come in to do, when we're on track with that, life is great. It's just um, feng shui is all about energy flowing um, and not getting stuck, um, which is why I can see where you're stuck in your life. Well, I have a friend that had so many things in his life. I thought, my goodness, he, his script, his agenda in this life was so full. I thought, gosh, how could he even in one lifetime mm-hmm. fulfill all these things that he said, okay, this is what I'm going to do in this lifetime. I thought, oh, my goodness, he really took on a lot. Whereas I feel I've always been lucky in my life. Mm. And you say that you always viewed yourself, oh, maybe previously, re- viewed yourself as a survivor. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I thought, hmm, survivor. Well, I, I've always viewed myself as lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I just things seem to fall my way. And so if you first thought you were, oh, if I'm a survivor, then where did you go from there? Um, I've looked at that off and on. Um, I'll tell you a short story. About probably 10 years ago, I decided I was going to look at my life because I, you know, what did I experience? So I took five-year increments from the time I was born up to the time I think I was 65 at that point. Um, And I wrote down everything that I could remember within those five-year increments. And it it 
was about 20 pages. Um, so I've done a lot of experiences in my life. And then I looked at those and I thought, well, what did I learn from that? So I went back and I said, okay, I learned this, I learned this, I learned this. And that was where I looked at, ooh, I'm a survivor because I've come through a lot of challenging situations in my life. But then I took it another step further and said, what have I learned from that? What kind of things can I do for my life? How do I define my life based on all this? So I, I looked at it and said, well, I'm a survivor, but it's more than that. I'm a thriver. Ah, uh, yes. I want to thrive. You've changed it to, I, that's more positive than oh, survivor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Survivor means, oh, poor me. I'm a martyr. Uh, I've uh-huh. come through all the challenges. But when I'm a thriver, it's like I have appreciated. I've come to appreciate all the, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff out of the box. I seem to, you know, when we come into the world um, as a child, we have an empty box. There's nothing in that box. Our mind is blank. We have no preconceived notions. Um, So everything that we learn in the room of knowledge when we're young, we, they're indoctrinated. They're imposed upon us from our parents who are our gods at first. They are, you know, we look up to them as the beings that are telling us truth. And because we have no filters to decide whether this is good or bad, we take it all in. So we have a very strong imprint or foundation from our younger years. I've heard that children are like a sponge for the first six or seven years. They just soak up everything. And then they start to express everything they've learned. So um, we are kind of a puppet of our parents and our family and our close parents. You know, I have a little bit different slant on that because I have a close friend who felt his parents oh. It was a nightmare, and a lot, he was figured a lot of his problems because of his parents did this and that. And I put the stresses on myself. My parents provided for me piano lessons and dance lessons and everything. They were wonderful to me. But I put the pressure on myself. Yes. I remember Mother telling me that um, when I was in the first grade, I knew I was going to be a first-grade teacher. And then one day she said I was in the middle of taking a bath, and I called her into the bathroom urgently. <laughs> Mother! Now I don't know whether to teach first grade or second grade, because oh. <laughs> I, once I started second grade, then uh, I was I was in a I had a dilemma. There, wow. What was I going to do? But another thing that uh, I identified with in your book, because I thought to myself, thank goodness I've lived this long to learn this lesson. I don't know if I've <laughs> learned past tense, but present tense. That a question I never ask myself. This is again I put pressure on myself. I never ask myself what do I want to do. I've, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Not what do I want to do. I would ask myself, what do I have to do? And you make that point in your book. And how do you explain that, something that I suffered from? <laughs> well, I think, again, that goes back to our original imprinting in childhood. For instance, my father, one of the messages he passed mostly non-verbally, but my father needed to work very hard. And what I got from that was you need to put a good hard day's work in before you can play. So I have a hard time playing now because I feel like I haven't done (laughs) enough yet. So that may be part of an imprint that you received too. Uh, Well, not for my my parents. Never asked me, did you do your homework? They never asked, did you practice a piano? Uh. I was the one that made sure I did these things. I put the pressure on myself. My parents didn't. I mean, my mother had a great sense of humor, and um, and Dad, as a part of his generation, you know, daughters, you don't worry about them. But the sons now, they he had definite ideas about what he wanted his sons yeah. to do. But that I'm still learning that uh, I can do what I want and still get done the things that I have to do. <laughs> I thought they were mutually exclusive. <laughs> they ain't. No. Um, and I don't like the word should. You oh. know, should, have to. Yeah, that's um, the word you used in your Yeah, program. like yeah. a counselor once told me, Val, quit shouldn't all over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if you, it's, we have a mind that wants to define things um, in our life. But 
and we choose to listen to that instead of questioning our mind and saying, do I really have to do that? What if I, what if I turn it around and say, I am doing it because I want to, not because I have to. And if I really feel like I have to, then maybe it's not worth doing. My guest is Valerie Althoff, and she has written a book, The Nine Rooms of Your Life, Finding Happiness and Fulfillment from the Inside Out. And you quote Shakespeare, all the world's a stage. <laughs> and I think I came around to seeing that when I actually was on stage. I was on stage in plays and musicals for seven years. Nice. And it was so much fun. And I didn't even care if we actually ever had an audience. It was just fun. The rehearsals were fun. And at one point in your book, you say something to that effect, too, that doesn't matter how uh, if, if there any results comes, but you've done what you did. Yeah. And I'm not saying it as nice as you did. But. Well, when I wrote this book, I was afraid that nobody would buy it. Nobody would want it. Um, so I, that's why I said, you know, why would anybody want to read my book? Because there are the other books out there. And this very good um, mentor, intuitive woman that I know says, Val, she says, you write your book. And if 10 people pick it up, and one person out of those 10 people gets something out of it. If you have planted a seed that will nurture and grow sometime, that's, that's why you wrote the book. you got to let go of being successful and, you know. <laughs> well, there's another term that you use that I've uh, myself used, and that is a download. Uh, for example, sometimes uh, if I wasn't sleeping very good, I thought, oh, this is an opportunity for a download, so I'll just <laughs> quiet my mind mm -hmm. and see what comes, and then sometimes I get up out of bed and go do whatever that download uh, implied, yeah. uh, urged me to do. But you also mentioned that um, that sometimes the, the way creativity works, um, well, as an example, uh, some years ago, a composer asked me to choreograph a dance to this music he has composed. And I would put it off. He began to get nervous because he was going to be performing this piece, and I was supposed to dance to this music. And I, I assured him, it's okay, I'll, I'll get it done. And when I went into the studio, the entire dance was there. And I felt like all I had to do was start, because a painting you can see all at once. You can take it in all at once. A dance is sequential. Mm -hmm. But it was all there, and there was no effort. I just did what I what was there in this this creativity so you um make the point too that um we should follow our intuition yes and i felt like that's something another lesson that it took me a while to learn to because sometimes i'd want to argue well but why should i do that why should i turn down this street but oh this is why so you really encourage us to follow our intuition yes and we have several phrases that, that refer to our intuition. My heart wasn't into it. Um, my heart's not in it. Um, I had half a mind to do something. Um, the room just doesn't feel good anymore. Um, you know, you can walk into a room and, and your intuition kicks in and says, ooh, I love the feeling of this room, or ooh, I don't like this at all. Any real estate agent will tell you that um, they can show 10, 15 houses to somebody but when they show a house um, to somebody, that all they have to do is open the front door and the people or person will say, oh, this is it. I know that's it. How do you know that? How, does, how do they know that? I believe it's your intuition, your own personal energy going out, filling the space, and then the house, the energy of the house coming back and says, yeah, you're the one. Come on in. Well, Often I have that feeling you're talking about is actual body sensation for me. I remember one uh, time that I thought, well, this is the weekend. I should, we should go down to Berkeley. This Logically, go to Berkeley. <laughs> and I remember walking through the room where I had my suitcase there, and my body said, no. Just the sight of that suitcase, my body said, no, this is not the time. Logically, you figured it out logically, but no, this is not the time to be making this trip to Berkeley. And it turned out that was true. I just didn't know why. Um you mentioned something else in your book that uh, often when I was reading your book, I would have said almost the exact words, and I opened your book again to pick it up, and you're saying the same thing. And it was it happened to be one, I remember, when you were talking about our education system and our purpose for educating our children, and maybe we should reconsider how we provide 
for kids after they get out of, say, high school. And what did you have to say in your book? Well, education teaches children how to be in the world, uh, the external world. Education doesn't teach a child how to live in the world, just how to work in the world. Get an education, get a career, get a degree, and then be go a good out. employee. Yes, and don't then, question your boss and your yeah. management. And yeah. it doesn't matter if you like it, you know, because that's what you should you do. You don't quit a job you don't like. <laughs> and another that's another thing I agreed with you. You use the word courage, and I thought, yeah. When I've known of people who quit a job they didn't like, they didn't have any alternate plan, but I thought, yes, I admire people who have that courage, yes. the courage to say, you know, this job is not working for me, this is not for me, and have the courage to, to quit working. Yeah. Okay, back to the education system. Um, well, on that courage thing, it, it does take a lot of courage, you t um, because we're on autopilot most of the time. We just live our day and go home and, you know, get up and do it all over again, but it does take courage to look at your life and go, this isn't really what I want. But it's interesting because education a lot of times begins with ancestry um, and the family. Um, if you come from a, a line of doctors in the family or priests in the family, you're kind of hardwired based on your parentage to, to be a doctor or an attorney or whatever. Um, and when you don't want to do that, then you're breaking out of that mold. And a lot of times you have to go against your family to do that because your mother wants you to be a priest. Oh, my gosh. And how can you, you know, God, and how can you go against that? So, yes, it does take courage. But I believe that education should be more holistic. We well, should. and then you also say that uh, we don't help kids. They get out of high school. They don't know what a mortgage is or how to buy a car or how to make payments or how a uh, credit card works. And so they are ill-prepared just, like you say, to live yeah. in the world. We don't teach life skills. Um, we don't teach people. We don't teach young girls how to be mothers. We don't teach young boys how to be a father. I remember my sister-in-law saying that all of a sudden they're taking home this little baby and she didn't have a clue. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something for you, Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> offer to go into schools and offer uh, some advice, have a class on how to live in the world. Oh, I would. Uh, if, you know, I teach feng shui right now through Ollie, the Osher mm -hmm. Lifelong, um, and they're 50 plus. I would really love to teach in schools, especially high school, when you're you're in the opportunity stage and you're going out into the world. That would be a perfect opportunity to teach kids, um, because they're not you haven't completed the life cycle yet. So, after a break, Valerie Althoff and I will be back to discuss how feng shui can help us balance our homes, businesses, and lives. You're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm Nancy Wigman. Nancy Wigman, and you're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm back with my guest, Chico author Valerie Althoff. There's something else, uh, like I say, that I would pick up your book, and you'd be practically saying the words that I had just said <laughs> even minutes ago. For example, um, I had a phone conversation with a friend that I've known since before kindergarten. We grew up together, and then, of course, we went off to different colleges, and um, and it occurred to me that after the phone call, she's such a fantastic person, and I don't think I ever thanked her mm. for her, our friendship. 
and she is still just a wonderful person, and I just so admire her. And um, but I don't think I ever told her how I valued our friendship. Yeah. And then I open your book, and there you're saying <laughs> gratitude. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, gratitude. Gratitude shifts. Talk about energy. If you're if you're in the poor me, oh my life is so hard. I don't have enough money. I don't have I don't have this. I have to meet car payments. Look at your life, shift, just kind of shift your perspective a little bit and say, what do I have to be thankful for? Well, number one, we're living in America. You know, there's opportunities that we have that a lot of the world doesn't have. Um, and, and you have your health, maybe, hopefully. Um, you have your eyesight, you have your hearing, you have your senses, you have friends, you have family. You are living in a house that has utilities um, that you're able to pay for. There's so many things that if you just shift your perspective and you can find gratitude everywhere. It takes, it takes a shift, though. <laughs> In fact, I have found myself doing that lately because I lost a close friend. And when I would be tempted to feel sorry for myself, I think, but that friend is done with that body that was just in pain, and um, and I would look at all the good times I had with this friend, and so that's the kind of thing that I thought, golly, I'm following <laughs> Valerie's advice <laughs> before she I even read about it. Yeah. So um, this, uh, you think, um, you encourage people to think what is likely to come about. You say what you think about is likely to come about. Yes. And. I think that may have been why I feel like I'm lucky, because um, I think about things that, the way I, say, would like for my life to be, mm-hmm. and by George, it happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, if, you, if, you've, if you're sick, if, God forbid, you have cancer, let's use the C word, which I don't like doing, but, okay, so I have cancer. Okay, so... I want to get rid of this cancer. I, I want to get rid of this cancer. I want it to be over. I want to take treatments. I want, what are you doing? You're focusing on, on the cancer. cancer. So take your focus off the cancer and imagine what it's going to be like when it's gone. Um, I don't have cancer anymore. Wow, I'm free. I'm healthy. It's in great. Fact, I had a friend some years ago. Uh, he was well-liked in the community. People loved him. And when he got diagnosed with cancer, he really didn't want to tell people because since he knew a lot of people, the first thing they want to do when they would come, oh, poor Rudy, yes. you've got cancer. And, and he didn't want that to be the way he lived his, yeah. his life. People will reinforce what we say. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. how we are. And yeah, if you tell people, oh, I have this bad thing in my life, the first thing they want to do is say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, and... And we don't, we don't take it, we don't like it when people say, oh, you'll get over it, or, you know, you'll get through this. Well, when I was reading your book, here's uh, a scene that popped into my head, uh, the TV show Frasier. And Frasier didn't, was learning how to ride a bicycle. So he's on the bicycle, kind of wobbly, and they're saying, don't hit that light pole, don't hit that light pole, don't hit that light pole. Of course, that's, his bike went straight to yeah. the light pole. Yeah. And so that's why I'm careful, too, about um, wanting people to say, don't do fill in the blank, whatever it is, but say, what? Uh, what do you want to yes. do? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think um, God, universe, Allah, you know, spirit, whatever you want to call it, in that realm, there is no, no, there's no not, <laughs> there's no negative. It's just all positive. It's all um, isness. It's just isness. So when you say, I don't want that, the the don't is not there. What what you're getting is what you want. You think you're saying I don't want it and therefore I won't have it. But what you're saying, speaking out loud, is I want it. I really don't, but I've got it. I mean, you get it. You get what you focus on. Focus on. Yeah. In fact, the way you said it is, what you think about is likely to come about. Yes, because you're focusing on it. Um, and feng shui teaches a lot about energy. Where are you putting your energy? Are you putting it on your sickness or you're putting it on your health? And sure, you, you can say, well, I'm not healthy now. I want to be. Okay, well, hold on to that wanting to be healthy. Well, you have mentioned that uh, this, uh, like Tesla saying, it's all about energy. 
And you emphasize the importance of this energy flowing. Yes. And that's part of the oriental picture of health is this energy keeping it moving. So what tips do you have for people to keep this energy moving? You did mention you like to take walks in nature. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of these tips for even these nine different houses, some of the tips were similar. So what do we do, Valerie, to make sure we keep, let this energy flow? Well, first, I would say you need to allow it. Energy likes to flow, and we are the ones that block it. It doesn't get blocked. We block it. Um, and so look at why it isn't flowing. Why is your life hard right now? What am I doing that is making my life hard? Don't blame it on anybody else because it's your life and you're living it. So what am I doing or how can I shift that to make my life better? So taking walks, um, gratitude, um, just spend... um, I had an exercise that I've kind of gotten away from, but at the end of every day I had to name 10 things that I was grateful for. And that is great for getting the energy flowing. Um, well, one tip that I liked was take a yoga class. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> With Nancy. <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact. <laughs> um, in so, fact, when I used to teach as a credit course at a university, the students that really got it, that wrote the best exams, final exam, were the engineering students because they understood energy. Oh, there you go, yeah. And uh, Well, it, architects... You know, you have to, in order to build a building, you have to understand load bearing, which is energy. You have to understand how much weight, which is energy. Um, So it's all about looking at your spaces um, from a feng shui perspective, looking at your spaces and seeing how does this feel to me? Um, When you open your front door, and I always tell people if you never go in through your front door, you always go into your garage, make a point of going through your front door once in a while because the front door in feng shui is called the mouth of the house it speaks for who you are and if you let it collect dust or spider webs or cobwebs or anything like that if the window in the door is cracked you're not honoring your vehicle your home your sanctuary so walk in through your front door and say how does this feel I think that's wonderful advice to leave on, Valerie. Uh, to uh, You've given people a lot of, to think about, I believe, in your book. So let me tell people again the title. The Nine Rooms of Your Life, Finding Happiness and Fulfillment from the Inside Out. And the, the author is Valerie Althoff. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you, Nancy. It was great. And next we have a segment we call The Writer's Room, and it features writers from around the North State. Afternoon Clarity. This afternoon, your voice was singing in the space between my right shoulder and ear as I lay drifting and thinking. Its clarity awakened me, and my heart, startled, made a mad leap inside of my body when it realized that I loved you. Joe Chavez. The Old Picture. The old picture from January long past. We sat on the couch within the warm walls of home, with gifts in our hands, grinning bigger than the cat through the looking glass. Now the years have grown empty, like the gifts we once opened, as I sit alone every cold January, wondering if you were happy with the life that you led. Didn't think how we might feel when you take the road up the hill. I sit alone, dark in the void, with the only evidence in my hands, a tiny rectangle of glossy paper, an old memory from January long past. Brandon Quinones. The Founders, one. The desert beckoned, far from city light, an owl cries in the night. The wind whispers through mesquite along the wash. Stars hung against velvet dark spark curiosity to a heart, accentuate the pain of beauty and of love. Early morning, the ground shakes. Rockets bloom fire into the sky. Choppers churn the air to beaten curdles of sound. Jets fly low, 
as sabers piercing the sky. Waves of sound echo from distant cliffs, shattering the silence. In the desert, the founder sits in silent meditation, walks in beauty, in solitude, and in peace, calls forth the truth, the energy, the power. The founder dreams a world of love and peace, a world completely changed, not just repaired, but healed and changed forever. The founder dreams, speaks, believes, and anonymous passes on. A Confession I have something to tell you, my friend of 40 years. A little shocking, I admit. I'm not such a fan of picnics. Okay, it's out in the open, my shame. Who doesn't like picnics? Well, me, I guess. Why, one would ask, especially someone who knows me so well. Who knows, I love the outdoors and eating, above all things. Two favorite activities combined, for a synergy of joy, surely. However, for some reason with this, the joy is divided. Hard to use that sixth sense to hear the trees talking with my mouth full, trying to figure out where to set my drink. Hard to enjoy the trail mix when wondering what exactly is crawling up the back of my arm. Trail mix, another example of the parts actually being greater than the whole in my capriciously compartmentalized mind. I want my chocolate straight. I want nature beamed undiluted into my soul. I want to be with my one best friend. Hilary Lindauer of AC. For more information on the writers you've just heard, go to mynspr.org and click on the poetry link. listening to Nancy's Bookshelf, a production of North State Public Radio. You can find this and other episodes of Nancy's Bookshelf on our website, mynspr.org.